You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Quick reminder today's show was recorded in Australia, which was partially made possible through the support of Spy. If you need sunglasses, snow goggles, use promo code PODCAST on spyoptic.com and you will support the show. If you do it in the month of June, Spy is going to gift you a membership to the Surfrider Foundation as a thank you. You can also add a t-shirt from their website to your cart and the promo code will zero out the cost. So a free tea, a membership to Surfrider, and you will be supporting this show. Spyoptic.com, promo code PODCAST. Thanks. <clears throat> My eyes are green Today's conversation starts with George Greeno, and it continues with Andrew Kidman and along to Ellis Erickson. It's focused on a design detail, The Edge, and the film that Kidman and Erickson made called On the Edge of a Dream. You might have heard us talk about The Edge design a few times on this podcast in the past. If you're still confused about the design, don't worry, so am I. And so is Andrew when Greeno first told him about the design. And then so is Ellis when he first spoke to Andrew about it. That's all part of the process of The Edge. As you'll hear today, you don't fully understand it until you begin writing the boards. The problem is that a lot of the theory contradicts traditional design theory. But that's why Kidman and Erickson dedicated the last five years to building a quiver of boards to explore the design and then documented that process through making this film. And for the record, the film successfully explains the design and how it works with different types of boards, different fin setups. In the film, they'll experiment with an element that actually regresses the goal and then show surf footage and exactly where the board bogged because of that change in the shape. And then they go back into the shaping bay and kind of adjust that. So even if you don't end up riding an edge board, this film does such a good job of illustrating that process, the process of refinement, the process of building a board, riding it, taking it back into the shaping bay, refining it, riding it again, and so forth. So for that reason, it's a fantastic film and arguably the most successful version of kind of a design-focused film that I've ever seen. Of course, there's great surfing in it as well, and uh, it's just really, really enjoyable. So, George Greeno was born in 1941 to a wealthy railroad family in Santa Barbara, California. 
He began surfing in his early teens, then switched to kneeboarding and mat riding on balsa boards that he had made in high school woodshop class. One key design that advanced his kneeboarding was a narrow-based swept fin that he modeled after a tuna's tail fin. In the mid-60s, his ability to turn in tight radiuses at full speed led to radical changes in surfboard design and ultimately to high-performance surfing. His first trip to Australia was in 1964. He has since relocated there. He's developed a reputation as an eccentric, often going months without wearing shoes, and also as an obsessive, spending years dedicated to developing a single design. Andrew Kidman is a surf media mainstay, at times having worked for major print publications, but he's much better known for his films and music, and then perhaps uh, very little known as a surfboard shaper. Born in 1970 and already interning at Waves Magazine at age 15, that's where he met surfer shapers Wayne Lynch and Dave Parmenter, both of whom left an indelible imprint on Kidman's appreciation for alternative board design and inspired his love for surfing's figures who chart their own paths. Litmus, Glass Love, Lost in the Ether, Spirit of Akasha, and Beyond Litmus are among his film and book titles of the past 25 years. His latest film and book, On the Edge of a Dream, is a collaboration project with professional surfer slash shaper Ellis Erickson. You'll be hearing from both of them in this episode. In addition to discussion about the film and the edge design itself, we cover the state of print and Kidman's new newsprint publication, Acetone. On the Edge of a Dream was only printed as a limited run, so if you want to secure your copy of the film and the book, I've posted a link to it in your show notes. It will sell out. This is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Andrew Kidman and Ellis Erickson. I'll be back at the end of the show to sign us off. Thanks. What was the impetus for the project? Whose idea was it? And where did the idea come from? I don't know if there was like a... Um, we didn't have an idea from the start, really. It was sort of more and like a natural progression of... I was shaping up here at the time um, at Andrew's space and we sort of... We worked a little bit on Spirit of Akasha together. Um, and, yeah, I was just up here doing boards and um, sort of had this early interaction with George... At a similar time, and uh, I don't know, it just evolved from there. I hey? think it just sort of yeah, continued. It's small George, really. Like, he, I mean, that like we I talk about it in the film, or I when I'm talking about that sailboard, like he's been telling me about that sailboard for 20, so t- tell 20, me 20 what, years. What is the sailboard? Tell me the story. Well, I mean, it's in the movie, obviously, but the, the sailboard's like this edge windsurfer that he made like probably i reckon he probably made it in the 80s yeah 80s. 80s and it's um yeah and he's been telling me like he caught his hall of fame wave on that sailboard so he caught this wave of flat rocks at, in his 60s too. in his 60s yeah. which was like the biggest wave he's ever had the biggest wave he's ever caught on that sailboard so he's been telling me that story for i mean i've known george a long time so Ever since I've known him, he's been telling me that story about that wave, and and um, 
you know, I'd always said to him too, because I was always interested in it because he was always talking, he was always talking about the edge and he was talking about the centre planes and I didn't, I can't say that I had any understanding of what he was talking about, even though I'd seen the sailboard. I didn't know what he was talking about. I was like, no, no, what? I had no idea what he was talking about because it's kind of, until you've experienced it, you don't, wouldn't know, if that makes sense. So, I still haven't experienced it, so I'm still trying to understand it, to be yeah, honest. That's well, that's the position you, you're in at the start. Yeah, that's, sure. yeah, so that's for me. Like, he's been, you know, he's ringing me up and he's telling me about this experiences he had on this board and how it didn't let him down and it couldn't have been a better board and all, you know. And I'm the only thing I could actually say to him during these conversations, oh, we should try something like that in a surfboard. That's, I would say that to him. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I would be thinking, you know, like trying to work out what conceptually what he's talking about and then, you know, also working on my own boards or whatever. And and then when Nellis started hanging around with him and, and looking at all the stuff, it, it, um, it just sort of morphed from there. Like Ellis really got up it, you know, because he was having the same conversations like George was telling him the same stuff. Yeah, I just started. Identical stuff, you know, about these waves. And, the, and Nellis was going around there and looking at the boards and trying to, he was shaping like the early. He did like a set of four boards, um, like a five nine, a six three, a six eight, and an eight eight. And I'd sort of come in at the last when he was making the. I think it was the eight eight, the biggest one. And I'd sort of seen him shaping under his house. He has sort of like a pretty um, low-fi setup, just on crates. Um, like this. Yeah, <laughs> like this table right now. Um, but yeah, his whole we're talking about in the film as well. But his whole like. Uh, technique wise how he was making the boards and um the edges that he was putting in and like the tools he was using was so foreign like i'd never seen anyone shape like that um so it was like from the get-go it was like very interesting even just from like building the, the boards you know from a standpoint and then but yeah like getting getting your idea around the the edge design verbally was it i reckon it's almost impossible to just hear yeah talking i mean about that like it. to yeah. be you know like I, I mean you could talk about here as much as you want but like that's what the film's about we're going to follow the narrative arc of the film but in this you podcast know, but you know what yeah. i mean like, yeah i do like you can't that's what we spent probably like what how many years we spent on I mean, three, three three or four years yeah. like working on how to understand it and then try and explain it in the movie but um to well, the point where we're not finished obviously but I will start by saying I think that the film was the most successful film I've ever seen um, illuminating a specific design from beginning like a most the most comprehensive viewing I've seen of uh, explaining a design and it's probably the most complicated design to even explain but it's the experience of working with a shaper and going and getting a board and then writing it thinking about what the changes could be going back and communicating with a shaper again and getting multiple boards and progressing through that process. You guys put that into a film and it, and it's actually really comprehensive. I thought, um, and you did a great job explaining of why the design works, not in a given board, but in boards with different fins, just with the concept, just the, the, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the other problem that I have too. trying to communicate board design on the podcast is, um, a design doesn't work in isolation. Like it's, it's always going to be affected by a concert of contours, rocker, width, 
length, number of fins, all that sort of stuff. And so I think you guys did a really good job of also explaining that detail. Sure. Well, that's um, a lot of that comes down to the fins, I reckon. Yeah. Because we, I mean, I didn't, Ellis made a lot of boards. I didn't make many d- deliberately because I wanted to find out where to go, where we could go with the fins. But I, I also think that shows you how, I mean, I felt this the other day too, like it, it just shows you how if you've got the wrong fin in a board, it's not the board's nothing wrong with the board it's probably you've got the wrong fin and it's or it's not in the right spot or it's tied the wrong because the board you know i'm not saying all boards are right but if you've spent time to get a board that's going to work for you mm-hmm. with a shaper it, it should work the board should be fine but it's getting the fin tuned in which will really elevate it i think and that's that's what we definitely got to in, in the film good so, um, which just is a can of worms, really. <laughs> it really is. And it's almost, it. it's so complicated that I think a lot of listeners, surfers, will just almost write it off or just tell the shaper, like, just glass in my fins because I don't want to have to think yeah. about those details. It's too complicated. Yeah, but you, it's more, it's all feelings, really. Like, bad feelings. Like, I, I reckon, personally, like, bad feelings in boards are just as good as good feelings because you learn something mm. like, and you learn really quickly. So if you get a bad feeling out of the board, you're like, okay, I'll know. If you know enough about what you're feeling, you can fix it. Right. And that's a, that's what surfing is for me, is that experience of going out there and having fun trying to make a board work better. Right. Like, so that's where, I mean, Alice is probably the same. I don't, and George, that's what George does. He's just trying to make some crazy thing in his head can't work better. Yeah. So. I think when you were talking about too, like, um, that the movie was, I guess, like comprehensive in talking about board design and getting the, the message across. Um, that comes a lot from George too because he's like so down the line, literal, you know, like he has his, his ideas and his concepts and he knows how to verbalise them and tell you and like it's on your behalf to sort of pick it up and listen, you know. And right. Yeah, which out. he was telling me the whole time. Yeah. Like he, he'd been telling me for, like I said, like probably 30 years about this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and... It's not that I wasn't picking up on it. I just I was trying to work it out, and in the same time, like going back to him and going, "Come on, like, yeah." But it wasn't until we started messing around with it that you that you realise how to. You have to mess around with it, yeah, yourself before you'll understand it. So. Back to you said he was building three boards that you were kind of witnessing. Four. He built four. Four. Yeah, first, yeah injection. So. That original board was built in the eighties, and he had that experience on. He'd been building edge boards into his knee boards and stuff since the 60s. Okay. Yeah, he did the first, I think he did the first, like, edge board in... It's in Crystal Voyager. Yeah, six, okay. 67. And that batch that you're talking about were actual surfboards. Surfboards. Stand-up stand surfboards. Up so those were the first... He'd built boards for friends of his over the years really randomly, some okay. sort of stand-up variant surfboards and that, but not, like... Not focused, though. Not really. focused and not in, like that sort of scaled up group, you know, from like a stubby to like a full race gun. Mm-hmm. I, not that I'm aware of anyway. He tried to make, he made a quiver. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. so it was like, which was, yeah, super interesting to see how all those those curves come together and how could he, he was expanding them, you know, from so small and sort of like a hot dog stubby board to like a board that he, you know, was making for someone to paddle, paddle into a 50-foot wave. Like, right. Yeah, it just blew me away and was just was really, really attractive too at the time. What exactly did he explain was the uh, value of the design? Um, 
The, speed. Yeah, speed. And less weighted surface. Okay, so less, can you explain it? Less drag. Um, it's How does that work? I know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> we want people to see the movie, seriously. Like, you need to see the film. Of like, course, of course. Because the thing we'll, with film, too, right, is there's a diagram explaining it. The diagram that's written on the wall in yeah. foam? It's <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah. It was a very, very well-illustrated diagram. Like, I actually understood it much better. <laughs> but we have to at least get people engaged yeah. through this medium to go out and I don't think get the visuals. Understand it through this medium. That's my opinion. That's why I made it. Film. Can we try? Ellis can try. I couldn't. I, I mean, Ellis was responsible for the diagram. Yeah, but <laughs> so I, he might I'll be. tell you what. It's almost like what Greeno was telling me for thirty years. Yeah, yeah. And I'm. I mean, maybe the audience is smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> like, but I, you know, I'm a shaper and I couldn't. And I'm maybe, make, yeah. Maybe Ellis is a more articulate uh, communicator. <laughs> than George. How is George, by the way? He's awesome. Is he? Yeah, I tell you what, that no one articulates it better than him either. Because oh, okay. he's just. No bullshit. He just. It's so uncomplicated, actually, when he tells you. It's like, I mean, this is the one thing. I mean, asked Dave about, like, okay, so Parmenter the other day rode the green edge board that's in the film. He's seen the movie. He's seen me surf forever. He's seen our boards since I was fifteen. He did not believe it would work. He didn't believe the design would work. No, he totally, pretty much like foo fooed me on it. Like you guys are tripping. He rode that board the other day, and he just said everything I thought was wrong. So really, so if you've got that mind that doesn't can't get his head around understanding it until he rides it, it was the same for us, I reckon. So. he told me today that it was the best board that he's ridden. He's like in a, in a long, I don't know what he said, if it was a long time or ever, but he's raving it's, about it's it. A, it's, but it's the edge. Like, so that's my, that's my point though. It's just like you have to, I, I don't think me or Ellis, I don't think you didn't understand it until you wrote it, did you? Yeah. Like, cause we were like, this is what, ha- like seriously, what we have, we made them and we were writing them and we were trying to work out why they would, why it was working mm-hmm. in the process of it, which we, that's obviously what we get to explain in the film. But yeah, we just couldn't. It's like I think Ellis and Dave said the same thing. I think everything that you think about design is almost upside down, hmm. or back the front, or wrong. Right? Because <laughs> he just like it's it. You know, I mean, yeah. that's what you just. And I think Dave had the same thing the other day when he rode that board. He was just like, "Fuck." So, so is Dave going to be building some? He wants to, yeah. Yeah. So he wants to work on some stuff. So let me kind of approach the question from a different angle. Speed is the benefit of the design, okay? Correct? Yeah. You go faster. Yeah. Uh, what is it? How does it affect turning? Is it depends easier what, to turn? It depends is it, what shape surfboard you've got. Okay, well, I'm help detail or explain it because if going straight in a line is a benefit of the design okay that's great but i would like to turn my surfboard yep. does the edge allow you to turn yeah yeah do whatever you want essentially you could do 360 airs on it if you wanted to okay. does one in the movie <laughs> does don't you oh i don't make it he lands it but yeah i remember the hail mary for sure yeah yeah well, oh. i could do one okay it's I mean, do you want me to like a loaf and a little yes, bit? Yes, please. 
We're not trying to be mysterious. I'm yeah, just you like are. It was so, well, not really, because it was, I'm just trying to put people into the context. It was like it's such it's so it was so mysterious for us to understand it. And if Parmenter couldn't get his head around it, and was going, that doesn't work. I think you have to ride it to feel it. To be honest, every you know, you look at it and you go, "There's no way that could do what we're saying it could do." Same but all, all that you've said it can do so far is that it can go fast. And do 360 aerials. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Alice, your turn. Um, it's just like it's it's you utilize the hull a lot more of the board. The okay. actual control surface of the board, the input with the edges are a lot forward, and you're engaging the hull more so you can use less fin. And less fin in the water, less drag, faster board. Okay. Yeah. There's edges underneath the board that release the water earlier and lapping up the sides. Um, so you're getting rid of that water quicker. You're riding on a smaller plane in the center, smaller board, easy to turn when you need to. Um, rails on the side that are fairly round and engage when you need the rail to engage. It's sort of like just separating up the components of the board. Okay. And um, it's just the trick is harmonizing them all because they can be so dominant that they can fight each other. Got it. So the trip, the trip was harmonizing it all. Okay. Do you feel like you've harmonized it? Um, early days still, tip of the iceberg. Okay. But, yeah, close. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you've seen the close and surfing in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'd, like, I would, I mean, to me, that's what validates the whole thing. Like, people can ride it off as much as they want, but you can't ride that surfing off, so... Right. You can't. It's as good as any surfing that's out there. So, I, I mean, I don't see anyone doing harder turns than that. Right. I don't see anyone getting deeper in barrels than that. Like right. That's as good as surfing gets. So, um, I mean, do you? No, I don't. I guess the thing that... Um, that are all on edge boards. So, to me, that that's... I mean, it's one... It is it's definitely one thing to go, hey, we're working on this concept, whatever, and we think it's the best thing because everyone could say that, right? Yeah. About anything, but... Many people do. Yeah, and most people do. And I'm not saying it... I'm definitely not saying it's the best thing. It's just some design thing that we got into for a while and we're still involved with it. But the surfing, at the end of the day, is what validates it. It's not someone posing around... Neither. Solar arching and going, oh, look, I can ride a twin fin or whatever. It's actual proper surfing. But that's what I think there's a miscommunication or a misunderstanding in the general public. And this happens with asymmetrical boards too, is people think that you have to ride them differently or that you have to adjust the surfing that you've been doing your whole life once you get on this thing. And that's not the case. No. I mean, we're making, I mean, I've always been, like I grew up at Narrabeen with Simon Anderson and Jeff McCoy and Terry Fitzgerald and watching people like that shape and surf. And it was always about, like, making the best board you could make to rip. It was never about posing or whatever. It was always just about trust, trying to make the best board you can to surf as well as you could. And that's what this is, I yeah. think. You know? And, I've, you know, we've just gone down that tangent of working on that design, but it's it's to rip. Yeah. Like you want to go out in really good waves and not have the board let you down. You want to be like in a super critical tube ride and be able to do something to get through it. And 
I find that I just reckon it does it. And yet, neither of you guys were riding an edge board today. Yeah. Well, I, I need a break. I was kind of riding a real edge board. Like, were you? I was riding a, yeah, I was riding a 100% edge, but it was just all edge. Famous <laughs> <laughs> edge board. So. Yeah, that's not the design that's profiled in the film, though, right? No, but it's like, I, I ride different boards every day. Like, I just, yeah. You know, I would have ridden an edge board today, but Michelle took it. So. Right. Um, why do you say you need a break from it? Uh, I was kind of only joking, but it was like, um, we put a lot of effort into it. Like I put a lot, it made probably 30, 40 boards for it and like surfed them consistently for five years. And I don't know, when I say break, I mean, I've been like riding a mat a lot lately just mm-hmm. for like a different experience and stuff. That's true though, what you say. Like I, I went off when I actually started going back and riding my old boards. Yeah. Because I wanted to, but I, we put spent so much time working on the edge boards and working on them every day and shaping and testing them and and we got them to a point where I was pretty happy with where they were at, but then I also wanted to go back and feel like the boards that I thought were really good like 10 years ago to see if there was a difference. Mm-hmm. Does, yeah. does that make sense? Because at 10 yeah. years ago I was thinking, okay, well, I've got boards that I'm really happy with. So I wanted to go back and... Right, you know, because around here, like, the surf's not good every day, so you're dealing with all kinds of conditions. So I wanted to go back and ride these older boards in those sort of conditions to, to, to see if I was tripping or not, like, and the, the edge boards definitely are better. Hmm. Okay. Just from going back and just experiencing that thing and then, yeah. and but then also taking, because we worked on fins a lot, but taking the fins that we got, that we got to a level with and putting them in the older boards too, just, just to see whether it was, a, what, if it was the fin that was... Or it was the edge. Right. And it was the, it's a combination of both. It's not just the... I liked the fin discussion in the film, too. I thought that was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's important. It, like, totally. Yeah. Um, the other thing when I was talking about, it's a comprehensive kind of explaining of the design that I hadn't seen in other films before. The stuff where you're explaining, I could feel it catching at this part of the rail and then cut to the footage with slow-mo showing the water shearing off the rail, you know, and then going back into the shaping bay and shaping a new board that's slightly different to prevent that. That stuff I felt like was really, really informative. Mm. Yeah, well, that's your process. And that's like research and good research and development, I think. Like luckily enough, we had some really good friends of ours that shoot video, you know, and we got to shoot Mm. a few days and you like do go back and look at it. And like if you're into it, you break it down and like, What's it doing there? Is it catching? Is the fin too, too dominant versus the edge? Like blah blah blah. And you, it's the only. It's. it's I mean, I made a lot of boards for it, but it was like. You've got to go back and look at what they're doing too. You can't just rip through a design and keep shaping and keep shaping and keep shaping. Like right. I, feel, I feel like you need to. You remember the feelings. Yeah. Like you remember those feelings in those situations. Like we we were having. I was having problems with the fin at one point, with it putting me over the falls. And I was like, it didn't make any sense why it was doing it. Like, because the board didn't change, but the fin was like, it was just a bit, it was just probably that much too long. Like, it's too deep. half an inch too long, like the fin. So it was like knocking the nose out as I was taking off. And it was like literally putting me out of the falls on like four to six foot barrels. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I was thinking I was getting too old. Yeah. Old and slow. Like, yeah. I'm not kidding. I'm serious. Because I was tripping because there's suddenly this board that had worked for four years was suddenly putting me out of the falls. 
and all it was was just getting the fin like slightly smaller and putting it back a notch and the thing just went into a whole other realm but it's like just little things like that like just for you to be able to identify that though i think is unique that was george Okay. Because you explained to well, him. Well, because I would tell him, I'd say, I, I would call him up and because, you know, we were all working on the thing together in the fins and I would I would call him up and go, oh, this is what, and he's like, oh, well, it's the fin. It's the fins pulling your nose into the face as you're trying to take off and it's then flicking the tail out and that's exactly what was happening. Crazy. Yeah, and often I was able to override it, but, like, I could feel it and I was just like, this is fucked. Like, it was like, it's like the board had just lost it or I'd lost it completely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but he, it was him. And then I, I was just like, yeah, right. And then I did what he said because he knew he's had all those experiences in the sixties on his knee boards. He knew exactly what was going on. And he yeah. just said, that's, he said the fin's too deep and you're not getting enough release in the nose. And it was like exactly what, exactly what it was, you know, get off the so. fin, a little more release in the nose and like, yeah, you're getting, you're getting, you like harmonize those attributes and then the board. It's a harmony thing. Like the thing, that's what's so fascinating about it is it's like, you have to get those two things working together or and once they work together then it's just like they just go yeah right <laughs> right so. um whose idea was it to make a film and book project out of this and why i think um well i think you we did probably my idea it was really. yours yeah yeah I mean, what was the idea well i might lost in the ether like years ago i don't know if you ever saw that i did not know that's like the I reckon that's the genesis for all these film projects, that film. Like I was kind of, I was at a point where I was, I was so sick of just seeing just like what you're talking about with surfboards. There's never this information where it's right and you're never, you're always kind of clouded and you're not sure. Hocus pocus. I was just so sick of hearing this stuff about boards and stuff like that. And obviously I'm a good friends with Dave. Like, and Poor man. Yep. He's in the film. Yeah, he's in Lost in the Ether, and I'd been talking to him a lot about it as well. And I just sort of said it'd be great to make a film where we like could really break down a design, just one design, because there's millions of them out there, and and um, so people could understand what's happening. So I had I had access to that Michael Peterson board from Morning of the Earth, and Michael was still alive, and um, so I broke that board down with him with Michael and did interviews with him about it and rode the board. I used to surf the board a lot, so I kind of knew everything that was going on with it. And, um... When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. 
linkedinjobs.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, I made a film about it. So, like that. I knew how to do it. And then that film's got that sort of that, that movie is about. It's about. Um, just the mysteries of surf. That's why it's called Lost in the Earth because you're just like, what is this shit that we're trying to understand? So, um, yeah, that's what that whole thing was about. So it's kind of when it came down to this film, I was just like, I said to Ellis, I was like, because it just started, when he brought the first three boards that he shaved around to the house, we surfed them and it was just like that. It was just that red board. Like yeah, I, rode the, I rode the red board. Just some kind of waves like today, but instantly you could feel there was something going on. I was just like, came back to the house and just I interviewed him about what was going on. I don't know why. But then as things kept developing, I said, yeah, we really should. Yeah, we didn't. I remember you, I remember you caught, like, we were talking and, I, and you're like, I think this is like three years in or whatever. And we weren't like, as I said before, it was just up here shape and it was sort of happening. And then you were just like, I think we got a film maybe on our yeah. hands. Like, I think. We got I just something. said, I really think we could make something that's, that could, I mean, that could, people understand what that thing was with like with Joe and just also how like important he is to surfing. Yeah. And I wanted to because he just like he there's so many people that'll I mean they'll you know they'll hail George as like being this, you know, great designer or whatever, but there's a lot of people that'll like hang shit on him as well. And I and I don't think that's fair because he's 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 not doing it for any other reason other than what he wants to do. Like he's just doing it for himself. He's not trying to change the world or make other people do things. And I just wanted to put a light on the interesting things that he'd done as someone that had followed his own path. And is still doing too. That's that's right. Which is yeah. crazy. Yeah, and that was something that I thought was really important for the movie to, to do that. Yeah. So, and that while he was still alive, to be honest. Right. He's 78. He's 78, yeah. So he's still surfing? Yeah, yeah. surfing yesterday. Surf every day. <laughs> Ride the map. But Crazy. Yeah, I just, yeah, so it's like, so we did, we were lucky, you know. Like, and yeah. He, and he was, oh, we talked to him the whole time about it, like, you know, like, oh, we're going to try and make this, because he's got my books and stuff like that. And I was like, we're going to try and make a book and a film about it, like, we're trying to work on it. He did not want to know about it. Like, he was just like, nah, he was just like, nah, nah, like, no cameras, no this, which, which I really, like, valued as well, like, respected that. And then there was this one day that Penny must have dropped for him. He said, you better bring your camera around. Cool. And take some photos of this. Like, it's like he just, because I'd never taken my camera to his house. Right, yeah. I'd never taken a photo of him, and I've known him for a a long time, and I just respected him because he does not like people taking cameras out of the house. And I just had respected that, and then one day he said, you better bring your camera around. Yeah. It's like like he'd been thinking about it. It's like the... It's like he's in the bath mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and he, the panty must have dropped and he just went, you better come around and take some photos of this. It's pretty important. Cool. So, 
Amazing. Which That's opened it up access. to like, which, well, it just opened it up to like where, because we'd obviously been collecting all our data yeah. on what we'd been doing, but it suddenly opened it up to where he could be involved in it. Because yeah. I think to do it without his involvement would have been, couldn't have done it. Like, right. And I sort of, we were talking about that the whole time, really. Yeah. And he was the first one to see it. And um, yeah. He was, if it, he said any changes or if he said no, we were like that that point of pulling. We'll he didn't pull really want to see it. He was just like, we. I had it finished and he was like, oh, yeah, like, and he, and I was just sitting there and I said, you got to see it because, like, there's things in there that I want you to see and be okay with. Like, I don't want to have things that are wrong in the movie, like, as far as design goes or what you think. And, and he saw it and he didn't, um, he just wanted a couple of, he loved it, he was, tripping about it but he just wanted he said a couple of things like as far as filmmaking goes like a couple of parts of slow-mo he said you know you could speed that bit up here or like he was yeah, he put his director hat on he it put his little director's yeah. hat on it and he and and i did i did those changes i was just because i had it at a point where i was like finished it but i put that I put his changes in and it definitely like lifted the film to help it move quicker and yeah. and i was super, <laughs> i was super stoked i was like yeah because i couldn't honestly like his films to me are just i mean crystal voyages I mean, I would say Lost in the Ether was like kind of a version of Crystal Voyager, like inspired by. Sure. Definitely, yeah. definitely like taking the role of being the narrator. Yeah, because I like I was always nervous. That I didn't want to do that at all, but then I couldn't think of any other way I could do it other than to just put yourself into it and go. I have to explain this myself. Yeah. So, and, which is the same with this one, I guess. Um. You've been making films for a long time. I mean, you've worked in surf media period for a long time, and that's kind of a conversation that always comes up on the show is that ever-evolving role of surf media. Um, What is the model nowadays in terms of making a surf film? You obviously printed DVDs. Um, How is it financed? Where do you see the return on that investment? What are the numbers like as compared to what they used to be? Do you expect to sell as many films now as you did with Litmus? What are your thoughts on that conversation? I mean, what we're doing now is the model. What is that? For us. So what is it? It's like make a book with a project and and make it good. Like that's your, that's the model. Like self-fund it? 100%. Everything's self-funded. I don't I don't solicit money from anybody. I mean, we attempted, but people didn't believe what we were doing. So I was like, that's fine. Like, we'll just, I mean, we took a bank loan. Ellis took a bank loan to do this one. And we went, we didn't say anything to when we were making it. I deleted Instagram for about a year and a half and we, you never we didn't said say anything, anything about, about making the film. Really? We didn't say one. Yeah, thing. just because out of respect for George, like, he, he does not trust the media at all. And rightly so, like looking at where it's at, like I, it's just a bunch of bullshit, really. So mm. it's kind of he he definitely doesn't trust it, and to think that like we would take things that we were working on and go and put them out there into the world, and then have people just like chirping about rubbish that didn't know what they were talking about. I couldn't, so I told I did say to Ellis, I said, you just shut, you should just shut down your Instagram and not talk about anything. Yeah, just deleted everything, and then just, just don't talk about what you're working on because it'll. Psychologically, it will probably ruin you because mm. people will be on your back about it. And whereas, if you focus, if you're able to focus on something without all the noise going on, you can just work on it without having to bother having other people hassle you about it. If that mm. makes sense. So, um, 
but yeah, we just, I don't know, like the touring of the films is pretty interesting. Like that's kind of fun to take it on the road a bit. So the model is you take out a bank loan and first of all, how long is that process? When do you expect, when are they, when does the bank expect to see a return on that? Um, we took, well, yeah, we took the loan out uh, probably three months before we put the book to public because the book, getting the book printed is the main cost, you know what I mean, when you get. So you did years of work before yeah. you even took out the loan. The loan is just to cover the. loan the, was just in the just last three the months when we went to print. Got it. So you don't yeah. paying that loan for, you know, that five years. Got we, it. we didn't. I mean, Ellis, like Ellis like, took the bank loan and he actually paid me to work on the movie for yeah. like minimal cost, but like to help me just be able to focus on working on it and editing and stuff like that. He was, that's part of, that was part of the loan. Sure. But it was, you know, it was just enough to get us through basically. Right. So. Yeah. So it was a gamble for sure. You know, it's a gamble, but. I mean, I sold out of Lost in the Aether. So. so you felt confident that you could sell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a thousand people that bought that project at, at like 80 bucks. Yeah. So that's 80 grand. Yep. So I didn't, I don't think they've all died. No. <laughs> In fact, I think they've multiplied probably, <laughs> to be honest. Well, I mean, I'd hope they would. Um, but 80 grand is the gross, obviously. There's all the expense. Yeah, but it's backing still... Backing out of that. Yeah, but it's still like if you work like what, how I work and I just, I just chip away on things. I don't, I don't hire like massive film crews and right. all that. I just work on stuff myself, so... Like, I don't have all the skills. I don't hire editors. And you do the music, too. I make all the music. Yeah. I write the scripts. and So I do the work. So it's not like I've got to hire other people. Like, So it kind of... I mean, I went... I mean, Ellison, we've, you know, we've paid them. We've already paid the bank back. I, that was my next question was actually, like, how does that pan out in the end? Did you... So you commit to a certain number of books just that number yeah and then uh we basically had a launch date didn't and we did uh i think it was the 3rd of september and then we were in the states touring it i think the first show was maybe the 18th so we just we did a i think that month while we were kind of away we did some pre-order things where people mm -hmm. could buy it and then we were on tour just promoting it like stopping at surf shops and cinemas and stuff in the states which helped sort of relaunch I guess my social platform thing, I, I brought it back online and then we started one with it, just sort of started spreading the word and seeing people from the get-go. And um, I guess roughly we'd sort of forecast maybe six months that we'd pay back the thing, maybe six to eight. I don't know, it's 300 books. That's how I look at it. And we paid it, yeah, back within that first month. I think it was month, yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So the, yeah. the initial response was really good and it was good to get rid of, hey, get rid of that loan. Yeah, we had the bank people. loan paid off in a month and we were probably making, we were probably in a profit yeah. like within a month. And then you print more books? No. No, it's, it's a limited, limited edition. run. Oh, That's okay. the whole point of it. It's like, it's, it's two and a half thousand limited run. Yeah. I mean, that was the point of Lost in the Ether too. It's like, it's trying to put a value on something, yep. you know, and if you're interested, you, you'll step up and buy it. And, I mean, that's why there's nothing on the internet about it. Right. Like there's, there's like a two like 30 second trailers and they're not even I think they're 20 second trailers then you got one way the thing is that my take on all that stuff is if you go and flood the internet with everyone just watches it and they think they know what it is yeah whereas we want we need people to buy it so, so the, the book is a limited run but people can purchase the film no no, you got no. it comes with the book that's comes it the that's book. the only way to see the film yep. yeah 
or come, or come, or to, come, to, or come to one of the premieres. Got it. So yeah. like looking at how many books have sold and that's the people that we saw that came and saw the film in America, like we haven't done in Australia, there's probably 1,500 people that have seen, 2,000 people that have seen the movie, that's it. Got it. And I'm, we think what it looks like for this Australian tour, there's a lot more that want to see it, you know, so it'll come. And, like it's not expensive. Like it's 100 bucks. It's like... Yeah. I mean, people spend... Hundred bucks on two cases of beer. It's like I just don't. And this is something that's like I mean, obviously the films, are, you know, like you know what the film is, but the book's like a whole other explanation to everything yeah. as well. Because there's interviews with, the, I mean, George. He tells you stuff in those interviews that that are, that you could never find out in the movie. So it's like you really, it's worth every cent. I I think completely. Yeah, yeah, completely. So it's sort of like if you're into surfing, like, or if you're into design and you're into history, it's like it's a you'd have you'd have to have it, you know. Like you won't find yeah. that, you just will not find that information anywhere else, you know. And people can talk about shit online as much as they want, but that that information's not on there. So. Um, what's the surf media's response been? Are they interested? Are the magazines interested in? Promoting the film, hearing from you guys, talking about it. Um, I don't know. If it's, I don't know if there are even magazines alive anymore. There's a couple. I, Nobody I cares. I don't give a fuck. You don't care. No, because I just don't. I just don't reckon the magazines have a platform anymore. To be mm. honest. Like, what about Acetone? That's different. <laughs> <laughs> that is a magazine. Yeah, but it's a different kind of concept. It's not something that we're trying to sell. Or it's yeah. not something that we've. Um, don't, it's not something that I'm like trying to sell advertising in. Or, so what is acetone? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. It's like a, it's a, it's like a forum for where we could talk about the work that we want, we're interested in, I think, and the people that we work with. Okay, so that's sort of. It's also like there's a, the kid that that I was working with on it, Sam. Like he's doing a journalism degree, so it's like it was something that he could like work on and and understand publishing through so that that's sort of how that happened so acetone is a magazine it's a newsprint magazine it's a newsprint it's magazine. Okay. Yeah. newsprint it's a, magazine it's a newspaper actually yeah and it's realistically where is it distribute is it only available in australia no it's worldwide okay so who's it distributed through where can people find it they can go on to there's a instagram page yeah there's it. an instagram um, they can, people can order it it's it's like twelve bucks, but that just covers the shipping basically. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, I think it's like five bucks plus twelve. It's like depending on where you are in the world, you can order it and we'll ship it to you, which we've been doing. So. And yeah. what's the publication schedule on it? No schedule. <laughs> How many issues have you produced? One. Got it. Like, have you got a copy? Uh, no, I've seen copies. I was though. talking to George about it. Like George, love is fired up about it. Yeah. And. He at first he didn't he wasn't fired up about it. He said you're crazy to be doing something like that. Like it's, and I was like, well, I mean, having worked in publishing my whole life, the fact that we were losing the the feel of holding newspapers and been having the time to read things, and I just wanted to put that back out as a concept. And and then so I I kept telling him that I said, well, I think it's a really interesting time to actually even be doing something like that, just because of like how social media is like. You can 
take that magazine and put it on social media if you want. You know, it doesn't mean people can read it. They can still see it and have a want to want to experience holding it and reading it. So I thought it was a really kind of interesting time to do something. And he was like, no, no, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. It's too expensive. You won't make money out of it. Because he's always about, he wants to make sure that we make money out of stuff because sure. he knows we work hard. And then I did it and I gave it to him and he just loved, he loves it. He's like, because I know he's sitting out in his back porch reading it and he just, he's like, I just love feeling it. And he's like, so he, he was asking me about like, you've got to do it. He was saying, oh, you've got to do it quarterly. you got to, and I was like, mm, I think, and I sort of said, I think you just do it when you're ready to put something out again. So when you have the content that you're happy with that you want to put out, you put it out again. So, exact um, opposite schedule to like. Yeah, there's no, there's no. Current magazine. Yeah, so that, what that does is it takes all the pressure off you to have to have a deadline to finish it. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the deadlines and all that stuff, it's all designed to accommodate a revenue model. Yeah. But if you eliminate that. the revenue model, exactly. then yeah. there's really no purpose. That's right. Yeah, I understand all that. So, of course. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. but I mean, when I asked you about surf media and what their response has been, you kind of said, you know, I really don't care. But you do care about actual print publications and totally. the legacy and all that yeah, sort well, of I stuff. Care about Losing the experience of it. Right. But as far as like I'm in Surfer doing some sort of review on it or whatever, I don't doesn't affect don't yeah. Like, so what's your goal with Acetone? What what kind of content? Nothing really. Well I mean, what are the it's stories? Just a, it's just a, it's actually just to bring back the fun of like what a magazine used to be, like that. I mean, when we worked in magazines back in the like eighties and nineties, it was just it was actually all just about having fun. Like it was it was sort of pre before in Australia anyway, before surfing became like super serious and corporate like that. When I worked at those mags, like tracks were still loose. Waves were super loose. <laughs> and we just had fun. Like we were just having fun with surfing, which like ultimately is what the reason of it is. So that, so that's the time it's like just to bring some fun back for people, you know, like throw it at the news agent, like the coffee shop, just mm -hmm. <laughs> leave it on yeah, the bench there and have someone pick it up and just be transported to some time of having a bit of fun without, you know, without being blasted by like what happens on the socials and all that crap. Like, yeah. Because that's like such an advertorial agenda. I just think that whole social media thing, it's such a like, it affects people's moods so quickly depending on what they are bombarded with in those moments. And a magazine doesn't do that. Like a magazine, you sit down, you take your time to read it, and you look at photographs. And yeah, even it's like a different thing. It's a different feeling, you know. That so was one of the things, like, you know, after you put it out, George kept ringing up, and he was just like, I love the in-depth interviews. Like, I love that there's just text for, like, six or eight pages. You know, he's just like, you just don't get that in the magazines anymore. You don't get, no. you get these little bites of information on the person, but you don't, like, really get into the psyche or what the person's about. He was just like... So, I don't know, just just happy to get into one person, you know, and sit there and read it and take the time. And that's true. Like, I was like, when is the last time I read a really in-depth interview in a surf magazine that wasn't three or four pages long and filled with photos, you know, yeah. that the sponsors want in there or whatever. Uh, what's your outlook on surf print media? Do you see any way for it to thrive into the future? I mean, knowing that there is value in what you're talking about right now, mm. I want to believe that like quality always reigns supreme and that if you put it out there, people will support it. Yeah. Well, that's what we're doing with the books. And, and it's been supported. Yeah. 
like the books and the films. Is, Magazine, except, I mean, that's my take on surf media, personally, is, like, that's the way it needs to go. Like, it needs to be this, instead of it being this, like, um, there's this schedule where it's got to come out, like, because of advertising and all this sort of Because that's what puts the pressure on, and that's what also has made it redundant, because it's, like, how many magazines have you got to put out about surfing, really? really? Yeah. Like, I mean... <laughs> so it gets to the point where you're just servicing... The revenue model. You're, you're just, just servicing to, the you're advertisers. Just, you're just trying to make money out of alcohol. I mean, that's what it's come down to. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, which is bullshit. So, like surfing, I don't see why surfing has to be a vehicle for alcohol companies to promote themselves. I just yeah. think that's a fucking total bullshit. Yeah. So, when my son's like asking me about why Corona is presenting pro surfing and he's... 11, they can go fuck themselves, like, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Seriously, like, yeah. that's bullshit. It's yeah. like, no respect. Yeah. So, they've got no respect for my kids that are watching it. They've got no respect for people that are, might be struggling with alcohol. They've just got no respect for anyone. They're just trying to make money out of it. And it's not the first time. I mean, Smirnoff Pro back in the day. Yep. Like, it's been around for a long time. The said exactly the same thing, and it's like, well, so what? Like, doesn't yeah, no, make it, it doesn't right. make it okay. I mean, Mark, but it's not Mark Richards did two his ads back in the 80s. doesn't make it right. right. Mark doesn't drink, as far as I know. Right. So, yeah. I just, it just, it, it really fucking pisses me off that that's become the model of how surfing thinks it's surviving, is yeah. to just keep, you know, I mean, even Slater with his wave pools, it's like, He's rich enough to support that thing without having to go to an alcohol company and get a blanket sponsor for it. Yeah. So it's just disgraceful. So I just, I shouldn't have to explain that to my son who's like 11. Right. I don't think. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, what surf media do you guys follow? You guys. (laughs) Really? Yeah. No, I mean, I love you guys. I like Swellnet. I like what they do. Yeah. I think that's interesting in the forums. What, what the, there's a few people on there that the podcast is super interesting. I think like Parman put me on. I like I explained to him. Yeah. I, said, I had no idea like about it, and then he Dave put me onto him, and I was like, "That's great." You know, it's um, it's like real radio just, again. Yeah, you know? which is so bizarre that that would make a comeback. Like yeah. you would never think five, six, seven years ago. Like, oh, radio is going to make a comeback. But isn't it interesting? fascinating yeah yeah but i i honestly i think what it is is just um storytelling is kind of the common denominator like wherever you can tell story effectively is where you're going to get engagement or where you're going to get interest and this allows you to unpack a lot of this kind of heady nuanced design detail stuff that when you're working in video um, for the internet, maybe not the video films you guys are doing, but video or text, they're trying to shorten everything all the time. Yeah. You're trying to edit down for short attention spans. And this has been a space where people can just let it go long. You know, yeah. I don't know if you've listened to hardcore history. It's a podcast. Nah, he does nah. four hour episodes. Wow. Yeah. I listen to him too. And I mean, he, yeah, I, I, I know. I think what's so interesting about him is that, um, is that you I love interviews with people on the radios, like I always have. And I used to love it when it was on television, when, like, say, Michael Parkinson, do you know who that is? No. 
it was like a British interview where I guess that's the word, but he would he would sit down with these people on the ca- on couches and interview them for like an hour, like one person. And I when I was a kid, I said love it. it was like fascinating, and this is very similar. Yeah, you know, it's just people. You get to, I mean, like I was saying, like with the with the Carson thing, that was just so fascinating. Yeah, you know, so to be able to hear those like long form things, and yeah. I think people love it. Like I, you know, yeah, yeah. and it gives. I feel like it gives a platform to people that don't get heard, you know what I mean, and have so much to tell. Yeah. That's the big, you know, there's so many people that I've learned about through your podcasts, like, that I should have known about, you know, mm. just from a growing up in surf culture. Like, I should know those people and I should know what their life was about or, you know, like, but I, I've, I've been, like, like, robbed of that until now, you know what I mean? Like, it just, whether I didn't sort it out of my own initiative, but there should have been a platform for some people. I think that everything was all of the information we got growing up was just through a couple key like surfer magazine and whatever else, everything was funneled through that. So you're really just hearing their voice. I think we're at a space now where the information's coming from all these different directions Mm. and you can just kind of curate your own experience, follow who you want to follow. And it's been democratized a little bit more, but to be honest, I grew up riding pointy thruster shortboards and that's all I cared about. And then when I started doing the podcast, my listeners actually educated me. You can hear that when you, when you like, if you go back and look through your archives. Really? Can, I reckon you can hear your mentality towards it changing. Yeah. Through each. Because I, I had the same experience with Chaz too, because when he was going on about his fish thing. Yeah. And I was just like, dude, that board's going to be way too small for you. Like, get a, get a proper, like, I actually got contact with him. And yeah. So he must have, he must have the same thing. Like, people must. People would reach out and they'd be like, yeah. hey, you should interview so-and-so. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even know who that is. Yeah. And I'm embarrassed. If I have this platform. Not really. You shouldn't be. Like, there's so many people out there. That's like, true. Yeah, there are. And like that. that's the one thing that I've always found too, like with shaping. Like, it's, it's fascinating because you've got all these little shapers around the world that have been doing it since the, probably the 50s now, I guess, because there's probably not too many people from the 40s still doing it. And they're in this little room and they're making, working on these little designs and they're mad pretty much. Like, yeah. But you've got all these characters like all around the planet that have been doing that and they've all got an amazing story. And that's like been me working in the magazines and then like also like doing what I end up doing. It's like you realise you couldn't, you could never talk to them enough really right. about what they've done. So that's why something like this is like fascinating because actually there's so... They're such, they have such fascinating stories about the coast, like yeah. of them living there for 40, 50 years or whatever and making boards for those areas. And so it's, it is endless. I, I Actually, that reminds me, I wanted to ask you, with the edge design, there are, let's say, five people around the world. But probably more, I reckon, to be honest. Really? How many do you think? Doing edge or have done edge over the years? Experimenting with the edge design. Currently or like Currently. A- I think currently there's a lot of people doing it. Really? Yeah, well, there's people. I, reckon there's I mean, we had, a, we had a kid. Ten. This story is unbelievable. But we had a kid come to the movie yeah. one night. He went and shaped one the next day. He had a glass and we surfed it at Malibu, like, within about four days. No way. He sat up just, all night and said He was just stuff. this kid. He was making a board and he's like, oh. And he put the edge into it. Just He's like, I'm going to put the edge into it. And we rode the board, like, 
How'd it go? It was insane. It really? Was, yeah, it was fantastic. It had the attributes of the edge. If you could feel it, and That's I showed George, I took a picture of him in the Malibu car park, and I showed George, and George was like so stoked. Yeah, because that's what it's about. That's totally. about like. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is, so let's say there's 10 people around the board, the world kind of experimenting with the edge design and more than building more than just one board. Mm -hmm. Um, There has been people too. Right. Since the seventies and sixties, even like my question though, is are you communicating with those people? Like, is it a collaborative? I would think there'd be a lot more ground to cover if you can have those people on speed dial and ask them where they've, you know, misstepped. Some of the older guys that have been doing it with Chris Brock, He's been doing it by George's side since the 70s. Um, Ted Spencer's been doing variations of it. Yeah. Andrew talks with Ted a lot. Um, I know Bob Duncan did some stuff with wilderness surfboards over in California, and I've got a few boards of his that he left at George's, you know, to look to just look at it and stuff. So people that have I, – I'd, I'd be like – I listen to those people, you know. I think the new explosion of it coming all out, like there's a lot of uh, – People giving it a crack, which is totally fine. You know, that's what it was about too when George, like, he's very open with his templates and he, like I say in the film, you know, he was like, he was just wanting to put the design out there. Um, but, yeah, I just love look, like hearing the old guys' stories on the boards because they've just done the great it's work. Like, I, think, I think, though, it's like anything with so, any surfboard design, it, it, and this is why the whole machine thing's just fucking redundant, is it, it comes down to customising it for you personally. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, it does. Yeah, like Ellis is what? How old are you? Thirty? Twenty nine. Twenty nine. Like I'm 40, 49 this year, so I'm like what twenty years older than Ellis. So I'm riding completely different surfboards, and I surf completely differently to him. So for me to go and customize a surfboard for me, the edge design is going to be completely different yeah. to what he's doing. Of course. So it's, and that's that's sort of there's no right or wrong. It's yeah. just what it's just how you end up trying to interpret it and make it work for it in the board that you will make for yourself and the feelings that you want to get. Like, I, that, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And I can't think of another design element that you could universally apply to all different surfboard designs. Channels. Concave, <laughs> but concave you want in diff- You want different for different types of boards. You want less concave or more. It's the same with the edge. Okay. Because it's like, do you make it that high to okay. make it this low? Okay. To, 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 what sort of fin system are you running on it? Do you right. make the concave deeper between okay. the? It's just. Yeah, but I think what you're saying, like, as far as a universal design, you can plug into any board and you're going to see a benefit. Is that what you were talking about? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't think that. Yeah, but I don't know whether that's true, to be honest. Okay. Because I, like, we're still not sure about moldy fins or we just don't know like we're still work we're still fucking around yeah that's what i'm saying it's not like just something you can whack on and you'll feel the benefit right like you can't glue it on the bottom of any board and it's just like dramatically going to make it better is there any deficit to the design um i want to get that outside rail in (laughs) on a 10 footer okay (laughs) (laughs) well because it claws onto the face and it'll send you the wrong way so that's but in saying that, like, I wouldn't want to get that outside rail on any wall pool yeah. on a 10 footer because you'll, depending on what sort of rail you got on, it'll probably suck the other way anyway. So, mm. I reckon there's like, you have to be, um, you know, it's not just, you have to be pretty aware when you're surfing it, you know, like, you have to be really in a good way, you know, like, conscious of where you put your turns or where you put the board, you know, you're like, 
I, I don't know if you do, but I tend to think about the wave a lot more when I'm riding an edge board as opposed to sort of some pretty, you know, like a versatile sort of board where you can just get on and go up and down and does all the stuff, all the tricks and whatever. I yeah. think you have to like, yeah, be pretty like in tune with it and, and conscious of it for sure. And I think too, when you get off them for a while and you get back on them, you have to be like, yeah, they really make you sort of strap in and be like, this thing's going to take off. It's not like a, I don't want to say it's not versatile, but I'm just saying it's like, it's a, it you, have to, you have to be engaged. Yeah, you have to be engaged. Otherwise, you, it'll buck you or it'll, okay. you know, it'll go, it'll do something that you're not ready for. It'll go, it'll go that much faster or it'll go, it'll push back at you that much harder that, it'll, you know, you'll spin out unless you're sort of like, yeah, pretty engaged in the design, I reckon. Yeah. I mean, the, like, Which say, is how the, you'd want to be, say like the modern cruster that Pro Surface ride or that they're encouraging like people that want to rip to ride, they're pretty submissive surfboards. Like you can go paddle out and those things and you can just do whatever you want on them. Right. But these things are not like that. This is a whole other you gotta be like such like George says it as well, you've got to be like totally trying to be on a higher consciousness when you're riding them and then if you can get there on them, the benefit is just you will be going way faster to when you want to do that turn you'll be going probably thirty, forty percent faster I reckon. Mm. And then you can do probably do the biggest turn you've ever done in your life or put yourself in a situation on a wave that you would never get to on one of those other boards. Right. Like in some place that but you gotta be aware of it all. Yeah. You can't just go out and just go and just right. Yeah, yeah you know you're probably not gonna jump on one, never surf on before and have like some easy, rippable experience and just like be like, Yeah, I own this board, I'm good to go. I rip on edge boards, what's next? You know what I mean? It's like yeah. takes time. Um, of the 2,500 printed copies, are the, are any still available for listeners who want to yeah. get on board? Yeah, cool. for sure. Good. For sure. Um, Barry McGee did the art too. Yeah, I know, which, which is, is amazing. Yeah. Which is worth it's getting like, the book for. for sure. I reckon yeah. it's amazing. I mean, that guy, as far as like interesting artists that are still alive and doing modern stuff, that guy's pretty there yeah it was a great call on your guys part well that was his call so well you well, presented he, the project to him and no he did no it. not at all he he um he was down here staying with and he, and he had, he just reveres Greeno like for what he's done in surfing and he he just like he's like if i could, can i do the art like he wanted really to, yeah like amazing he, yeah so he said, he said anything i can do like i, I want to anything i can and he just yeah for the whole time he just like kept sending Stuff to us, like right to the. He nailed it. Oh yeah, he nailed it. All right. The whole so, like uh, aesthetic of the film and the packaging and the color scheme and all of that is. Yeah, he did all the titling. He yeah. Did all the, um, he did all the illustrations in the book. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, another thing before we go, what is the release schedule for Beyond Litmus? I know you just premiered it. It's out. Yeah, you yeah. just are you going to tour it? I don't know. I, it's hard. It's hard because I'm touring this one. John's like, John's like working up in the desert with, um, with those Aboriginal people. So it's, it's. Um, What's he doing? He's like, he's like helping them with their media. Yeah. So he's, um, he's up there making little films with them and teaching them how to use cameras and stuff like that. So, Interesting. Oh yeah. That's a story. Well, 
it's just amazing. Like it's sort of, I mean, that's what's real to me. You know, to see him go and be doing stuff like that, that's yeah. like far more important than making surf movies. <laughs> <laughs> so to see him be able to go and do stuff like that, it's like, it's, it's fantastic. Like that's real, real work. And um, yeah, he's doing that. So it's like to, to tour Beyond Litmus. I don't know. Yeah, Beyond Litmus is it's interesting. Have you seen it yet? No. Yeah, it's an interesting film. It's like. Um, I'm eager to see it. I think it's one, yeah. I just. I think it's one of those films you have to sit down and you just have to watch it. So like making hype about it with like tours and shit like that. I'm not sure that that's really the way it should go. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, I, I don't, the making hype thing, I don't think it needs, but like just uh, allowing people to watch it in a theater environment. Yeah, I, think I, has value. I don't know. I'm not sure about it. Okay. To be honest, okay. I'm not sure. Cause it's quite a long film. It's not like a, like the edge films, you know, it's like, what, 50? 52 minutes. Yeah, and just, like, seeing how people are these days with their attention spans and stuff like that, I'm not sure that they... I don't know. What's the right viewing experience for it? I think just getting it. like getting At the, home. Getting the book and the film and sitting down and watching it when you have time and place. When I watched it the other day for the first time because I hadn't seen it, like, I was happy to be in my house, like, by myself because okay. it was, like, quite... I don't know if it was, like, pretty personal, like, because you... Super personal it's, movie. It's all human interest driven, right? Like, pretty much yeah. character study, yeah. yeah, profile, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of that's why I mean it's sort of like, I mean you're not going to be. I mean, there's it's funny, like it's definitely a funny <laughs> yeah. film. So, but it's off its head. you're not going to be like <laughs> screaming out like a, you know, like surf movies are like throw Jaffers out, who, which is like Edge of a Dreams, like that. There's yeah. moments where you're just like, yeah, you know, like whereas Litmus, it's like quite. It's definitely not you're not jumping up and down. It's hard hitting. It rocked me. Yeah. The time I was sent you that text, I was like, I'm rocked. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's only carried on from the original film, really. So yeah. it's kind of, I mean, the original film wasn't White Roses either. So. Right. This one isn't. <laughs> so, but it's, I think it's, again, it's like another, it's a deliberate thing, you know, like John and I deliberately wanted to make that film because like the way the media is these days like people just consume it they you know on it's just this thing that just rolls and rolls and rolls and rolls and i know people don't do, you know they're just like they're either consuming it on their phone for like two seconds or they're consuming it in some web clip that is a promotional activity for someone or it's like or some poor bastard has spent years making a film and he doesn't know how to release it so he puts it on the internet and it's like it's we did we wanted to make this film like a proper documentary yeah so. um my only concern is that people don't people who would want to see it don't know it's it exists yeah. and then b um just don't even know like it's not available on enough platforms for them to actually access yeah. you know okay I mean, I don't. But but if your heart yeah. is behind something and it's to resonate with somebody who would care, yeah, but there's think, a disconnect. Yeah, but I think, I think it's like anything in life. I think you find it if you're supposed to. Does that make sense? And when you need to, like financially, do I care? Yeah, I mean, it'd be unreal if the thing sold out tomorrow. But I also think that people will find it if they want to find it. Yeah. Like, there's that many. I mean, how many Instagram posts have I got to put up saying, "Oh, Beyond Limits is out." 
yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's out. So. Right. But people that don't follow you on Instagram, you're talking about it. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Limus was the same. Like Limus, when Limus came out, no one could find it. it wasn't got shut down. Like just the media wouldn't let it go get out there. And why not? Because of the heroin animation. The surf shops wouldn't stock it. Um, people wanted us to re-edit it, the animation out of there, and, and then they'd stock it, <laughs> yeah. so, which we didn't do, obviously. But right. it was the same. It was a hard thing to find. and But it meant something if you did find it. Yeah. You know, maybe. So, so this is the same. Like, I think you can find it, you know, um, and we can change. <laughs> I'm curious for Alice. Obviously, you're a pro surfer. Yeah. Um, you have sponsors. Yeah, Red Feruka. Yeah. Yeah. So, what is their take on this model of scarcity that Andrew's talking about? High value. You know, um, how do they feel about that? How do they feel about you deleting your Instagram account for a year and a half, or you not trying to get it in front of as many eyeballs as possible? Um, yeah, well, that was part of our, um, that was, you know, deleting that was in a way part of the launch. Like we, we, had, we drove, we, we just dried everything up. Like, um, and yeah, that, they might have, they're pretty, uh, they give me a good leeway and I think they believe in what I do. Um, and I told them that I was doing that. It was a conscious effort, you know, it was a conscious thought, um, to, so we, when we did release the film, no one had seen any, anything of me surfing and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I guess they believed in me. And um, as far as the scarcity, I don't know. I think I like, I think there's a lot of um, worth in actually going out and seeing people face to face. And there's a big plethora of like surfers on the internet that have, have profiles on the internet, you know what I mean? That the general public never really get to face to face talk with or, you know. Totally. They're sort of like, Hollywood actors or something, you know, like that, where I wouldn't really want to exist up there, obviously, but I really like the face-to-face, and I think it goes a long way with people maybe associating me with the product. or um, So, yeah, they've been, they gave us some tour support in America and here in Oz. So, um, yeah, there's some people looking out for me, I think, for sure, which is, which is nice, but I could understand how it's hard for them to get their head around it sometimes because there is that. I know in, in companies there's such a push for online social media platform, you know. Um, but, yeah, there's some people in there, I guess. Look good for me. Yeah, well, good, good. On, good on Ruka for recognizing the value. I think, yeah. I think once I saw it, it's hard to like, it's hard to go to any of those corporate companies and say, oh, this is what we want to do and yeah, because it's not their idea or whatever. Yeah. It's, hard to, it's hard for them to wrap their head around it conceptually. But once they see it, they're like, Okay. Like, yeah. I mean, once you go, here's the book and the movie, and they watch the movie. It's like, then they get it. Yeah. But, but it's like, what, you can't, you can't do one without the other. You have. To, yeah. Well, good. the other thing is with the strategy that you've been talking about, Andrew, um, it's lasting. Like Litmus, I feel like has a lot longer legacy. People still want to track it down. Sure. Whereas yeah. I don't know a lot of what film. What year was that? Ninety six. Came out in 96, I think. Yeah, I don't know of a lot of other films in 1996 that I can name off the top of my head. Like surf films, you know what I mean? That people still want to go watch. Yeah. Um, Everything else is kind of ephemera. And that 
that thing, it's a deeper legacy, you know? So yeah. I think with this, it's like for Ruka to kind of recognize um, what you're doing, it takes time and you disappear off social media for a year and a half, but it could have a 20 year effect. You yeah. Know, it's a long-term relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And well, it's powerful. If you're not there, that's powerful when you turn back up. Yeah. Not everybody recognizes that, though. Yeah, but that's cool. That's, like, you know, like, it's so contrarian to today's yeah. way of doing business. And maybe that's why it's it's doing all right. Maybe. You know? Because yeah, there's I mean, always not, ends of the spectrum. We, you know, we're not, we're definitely not broke from doing the project. And we've, um, and we've, we're doing, we need to we haven't even, we've only done one part of it. We did the small west coast of California. Like, there's right. the whole world that we can go and tour. Tour, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and there's this whole world of surf, surfers, like, bigger than ever. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll just get out on the road and see them and, like, that face-to-face value thing, like, that's what I place the emphasis on. I reckon it's, like, Good. it'll never go out. Yeah, and that's fun, too. Yeah, it's I fun. mean, the people, like, going surfing with the people and... The kids like making the boards. That, that kid making like, that board, like, that was unreal. Yeah. You know, like, seeing him do that and then, like, just seeing how stoked he was, it's, like, that's what... I mean, that's real surfing. That's what they talk. I mean, they talk about those experiences, like back in the like. You talk to some of the. I mean, George talks about it, like running Crystal Voyager and stuff back in the day, and just the experiences he has of running those movies and just everything that happened. And it's amazing. Like, so we have and we have similar experiences. They're like these little gatherings where people come in and the boards are there and they're picking them up, and it's not like a fucking gallery where you can't touch anything. It's like you can touch whatever you want, and you can. If you yeah. want, you could feel around tomorrow. You can ride the board and have a go on it. It's like right. that's real. That's what surfing is about. We yeah. took we took all the boards on the tour from the film oh, in California and just just put them on the floor. And it's like so interesting to watch people interact with it and people bring their own boards or they'd be you know like old dogs come out of the woodwork, just be like I had a board like this and like yeah, so that's more of a rounding Matt, experience. Matt Weston like brought down a, one of Green Eyes windsurfers that he'd made. Or it wasn't yeah, wasn't no, his board, but it was one above Duncan. But yeah, he brought it down. He'd been in a backyard for like 30 years. He brought it down. He just goes, it's yours. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, Crazy. Like, so just stuff like that's happening because that's, it's, it's real, you know. Yeah. And then some, like some shows you have, some shows are really small, but the people that come are like so incredible and they're so interested in design. And, right. And, you know, like what the one you did in Hawaii, like the people that showed up at that was just like, to me that's better yeah. than when you do like a massive show with this, yeah, like Herbie Fletcher, Herbie Fletcher. We did a small one at the Bonzi Cafe, and Herbie showed up, and like, which was super big for me. And then that one, the small one in Costa Mesa, Jeff Ho came yeah, down. Jeff, and, yeah, Jeff Ho came to this. I mean, I've met Jeff a couple of times, and it was like, he's just the best guy. Like, he's just, do you know him? I've met him, but no, I don't he's know. He's just him. this. Um, he's amazing, you know. He's just this amazing guy that. It's just his shaping was just like incredible. Like it was incredible in the seventies, and it's still incredible now. And yeah. like for me to have somebody like that come to the film, and then like, oh, but also understand it because he's a shaper. Like he's watching it, and he's understanding what's going on, and then he wants to talk to you about it afterwards. And yeah. it's like that's I don't know. That's what's real. Yeah. So. Awesome. What's next? The film says to be continued, right? Yeah. Is yeah. that is that? Yeah, well, we're still working on boards, like. It's got that new one in the car. So. Are you documenting him? Yeah. Yeah. Got something on the boil. Cool. I mean, Dave, Dave's fired up. Like, after riding that board the other day, like, he's like, 
I mean, I would love to see what he would do with it. Yeah. I mean, to me, like, it was always, like, if I could get the board in, if I could get him to, like, buy into, like, making one and get, get him, like, try and skew him off the program he's on because he's, he's um, I mean, you've got one of his PSVs, you know, you know what they're all about. So it's kind of, he's such a, he's an, such an amazing designer, that guy. So, like, to see how he could apply the edge to surfboards like that something that I would love to see because yeah. his mind and his knowledge of how foils and fins and, and um, tail widths and all that stuff affects surfboards to like be able to like tap into him and see what would come out which I've been trying to do but he doesn't yeah. didn't want to know about it like I had to flick the board at him the other day yeah. in the surf I actually had to go give me the give me my other board and riding this because I just want to I just want to see what you if I'm tripping yeah because <laughs> I might be yeah so said so, yeah so I want to see what he could do and then there's other people there's other shapers out there that I'd, I'd love to work with like, mm. I sure I'm so. I would imagine too there's other surfers you would like to see on the boards probably yeah. right yeah yeah for sure I mean we see them like we just you know we get just it's a hard one that's like a it's it is it's definitely hard and it's why it takes so long to do it because like I was saying before it's such a custom thing yeah. you know like how do you how do you get one shot at like customizing a board for someone and hope that they'll yeah you know so it's sort of like they've got to buy into it as well yeah if that makes sense like they've actually got to go yeah you know what I just felt something then I want to yeah can we work on it because like to to get it like to just make one surfboard for someone and, and to nail it like straight off the bat, it's pretty. It would be pretty difficult, I'd imagine. Like, so. Do you have people asking to order boards from you guys? Edge boards? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't, don't yeah, a couple. We, we haven't. I've been made a don't production really board it. in a while for anyone, but. Um, it's hard, well, it's hard. Like it's like I've got. I'm not 100 percent confident that I could nail an edge board for them. Like where they'd get that. I mean, I could nail something for them when they'd have the experience of the edge, but whether or not it wouldn't, because it's like Ellis said, it's like it's a like even what he said the other day. Like he said, I realised my boards are really hard to surf. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that. That because you're so down the wormhole and yeah, you jump back on something. Um, like even that board I had in the car, and it's just like this is a breeze, but it's not. It's not like it's too easy. It's though. too easy. It's not keeping you engage like you have to be with those boards you know and then that's a learning process you know, then you start to refine your design again and that experience and like but yeah it's definitely i would just <laughs> i mean i would honestly say like if you're interested in it you should have a crack at it shape one yeah because blanks these days like the tolerance is so close to whatever you said so, you know have a crack at it yeah because it's not it's not that hard to work out how to do it the experience of doing it and then putting yourself on a wave on something that you shaved, it's like there's nothing else like it. So yeah. yeah that's, that's surfing, like real surfing. You're you're a part of everything that's going on then. So that's you got you can never go wrong doing it. Yeah. So. You made a board, didn't you? Did you make a couple boards or you made Yeah, I've made a couple. Yeah. I've made one I think I first one I made was probably fifteen years ago. Yeah. And uh, I'm just not good at it. I just know I can't do it with my hands, you know, like what? Like it's just time. 
you just spend a little bit more time or, or, yes. work, or, or do it with someone that knows a little bit about it. I know, but you know, there's certain things where you just kind of feel like it's hitting my head against the wall. I could get through this eventually, mm. <laughs> or I could just dedicate my time towards doing something that I feel like I'm actually pretty good at, Yeah, yeah you know? Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. that's one thing where I just feel it's almost like uh, learning. A, I've tried to learn Spanish a bunch of times in my life. Right. It's just tough, man. Yeah, I think yeah. it comes easier for some people. Yeah, for oh, I'd sure. agree. Like my, da- my, daughter was, yeah. my daughter was speaking Spanish to her mum last night, and I was just sitting there going, maybe it's my Scottish root <laughs> that won't let me unravel that. And they were just talking like... So, we're yeah. just wired differently. And yeah. I've, I've realized, I'm like, that's one thing that I just don't need to do. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So but I'm you fine could... Talk, I, mean, but, I mean, obviously, it's your game more interested in design as you get older because I imagine you are yeah you can start working with a shaper like someone like Palmer and just say hey Dave like I'm thinking about this and he would he will take something and interpret it like totally that's why I mean that's why shapers are still so relevant I think like to, I think this, so to this very day is because it's personal you know and it always was so. that's what I talk I mean that's what I promote more than anything on the podcast mm-hmm. is just develop a relationship with a shaper and go through that process. And that's where all the joy is, you yeah, know, it is, it's true. It's so true. Yeah. And then come back and if, if you can surf together, great. So that they can kind of see the way that you're surfing, but refining the design and the relationship is the fun. It's fun. Me. Yeah. It's so, it's, so, yeah. it's so fun. It's fun for the shaper too. Like yeah. to have, I mean, I've, I work with a couple of people, they're just friends, but we make boards together and, it's so fun, like watching them, their perspectives change and progress, and and then come back to you, and, and your perspectives changing yep. too, because they're thinking about things that you're not, and exactly. then you go, yeah. Well, I mean, me and Dave are, are probably like that because I've like always written his boards, and I'm always coming back to him, going, oh, "Do you reckon we could do this?" And he's like, yeah. "Like he's always doesn't, because he knows." Mm-hmm. But then to to break him, like to be able to break him a little bit and see him do something that changes and makes the board better. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's a real surface shaper relationship, I think. And to that, see him embrace the edge is the perfect that's what example. I'm, that's what I mean. Like yeah. to, to then like, cause it's been, I mean, we worked on the single fin forever. So like to, you know, I think we had this period where we're just like, yeah, we've got that thing nailed. We can move on now. Like yeah. that was like 30 years. <laughs> that's a long time to, to it take, is. to work out of how far away from the rail the fins got to be. <laughs> But we did it, so yeah. like to, to do that, and then to have to see him like just crack him open the other day on the edge. It's like crack to him me on that, the edge, hey? <laughs> crack him on the edge. Well, it's just it's, that to me is like super. Like I'm super. If you talk, if you ask me, like, what's the future for you? Like, that's it. Like, it's to go and work with him and see what where we can what we can do with it. You know, yeah. like in in any kind of board, right? So, and I mean, Ellis was just saying it before too. Like, yeah, it's like. Collaborate on a board. I was like, do you reckon we could collaborate on a board with him before he leaves, you know, and it's kind of... Are you going the, to? I'll do the bottom, he'll do the deck. Um, I don't know. He's, he's real busy. He's pretty busy. Yeah. Like he's got himself into a conundrum of busyness. Yeah, so, good. It's a good Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Come but, back and do it more often then. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, to me that just shows you that, like, how valuable a, a real shaper is. Yeah, you know, of course. For him to be able to come down to Australia and for Australians to go far out disguise a I can get a custom surfboard. I don't have to, you know. Yeah. There are, you know, obviously there's custom shapers in Australia too. So. 
Yeah. Your interview series with him was great too. It was like, and the earlier ones, obviously, but yeah, thanks. So, so informative and yeah, I guess yeah, it was cool. fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even like someone like me who know, obviously knows him really well, like to that that interview stuff was amazing. Like, yeah. All the stuff about the blanks and the glassing, and that was just well, I, I'm a, I mean, firm believer. Guys like him need a platform like they don't have an adequate platform to share everything that they want to share yeah and uh it's easy for me just to put a mic in front of them but i would almost prefer just to send him this setup and just be like dude yeah. send me files just every customer conversation you have yeah. you know put it on mic or whatever. yeah but it's got a lot to do with you though because you're the interviewer yeah so it's kind of you're really important to that the yeah. way the things track because if you've got something that you're interested in, you're going to bring it up. Yeah. Know? Otherwise, it wouldn't come up. Yeah. So, I can. I mean, some some of the stuff that you were asking him in those interviews, it's like it just. Yeah. It let him can't get into what he was talking about. Yeah. So. Well, thanks. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you both. No worries. Yeah. Thanks. Appreciate Andy. it. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. When I go by Baltimore. Need no carpet on my floor, you come along. Follow me, we'll go down to Galilee. Green, green, rocky road, you're promenading green. Tell me who you love, tell me who you love. See that crow? In the sky, he don't walk. He just fly, he don't walk. He don't run, he keep on flapping to the sun. Holland Green, Green, Rocky Road. Huge thanks to both Andrew Kidman and Ellis Erickson, and of course to George Greeno for um, innumerable contributions. There's no way of kind of teasing apart his influence on the surf world, surfboard design, so. Shout out to George Greeno, of course. If you want to secure your copy of the film and book, On the Edge of a Dream, you can do it through your show notes, um, which we've also posted on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Definitely support this project because, of course, it'll fuel future projects from this duo. And if you enjoy this show, one of the best things you can do for me as the podcast producer is simply share it with a friend that is how this show grows that's how kidman found the show that's how ellis found the show so just organic growth like that is kind of a really great way for us just to continue us to allow doing things on our terms this show is partially supported by sponsors but it's also um funded by you the listener we have a donation platform set up and those kind of small five dollar monthly donations from listeners add up and go a long way towards getting me to australia getting me to hawaii to record these interviews and then spread some of those resources around to uh to other people that collaborate on the show with me scott bass Chaz smith and uh donald brink among others so thank you for that we'll keep this project going I was inspired to hear the way that um Kidman and Ellis did their project, and I'm fortified and feeling strong about charging forward. So thank you for that. Thanks for the support. And I think that's it. I mean, you can obviously see the trailer for the film on surfsplendorpodcast.com, and then, of course, follow on social media at surfsplendor. All right. Until next week, this is David Scales broadcasting from Savannah, Georgia, reminding you to get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and shred on. 
you're promenading green Tell me who you love, tell me who you love <laughs> um, So back. weird, like, for me, for me right now, because in that room I've listened to, so I've listened <laughs> to all the podcasts, like and yeah. then to hear his voice in this room now, like yeah. it's a live thing. It's like yeah, it is real trippy. Because when I was when I was been packing the books, because yeah. like I had a run where I had to pack books, and it was like I was in here for days, like from fucking eight o'clock till five o'clock packing books. Yeah, and I was just listening to the podcast. So. That's funny. I was uh, linked up with a buddy on the east coast, a shaper, and he listens to the podcast in the car and his wife's in the car a lot of the time. Yeah. So we were all driving to dinner together no way. That would have been... and I'm in the back seat and she's like, I'm used to hearing your voice in, in the, the car, car yeah. but not with you actually in yeah, the car, well, that's what, which is so funny so to me. Like, yeah. That, you know, which ones I love was Carson. It's just fucking incredible. And, the, um, the rock poster guy, that was amazing. No, that um, one. it's quite old. Ham- Van Hammersfeld. Yeah. Those two were just, because, like, for me working in publishing, mm-hmm. we're just like that cast and stuff, all that shit he was talking about. I was, I was like editing a magazine at the same time. So, all that stuff he was talking about, like cutting the boards out, and we were doing all that. Were you, did you ever work with him? Um, I've worked on things with him, but not as a magazine thing. Okay. Like, just we've done like different things, like books and shit like that, where I've had interaction where we've done stuff, but not nothing like that. But to the point of where when I saw the podcast, I was like, fuck Carson. I was over him. Really? Yeah, well, because just he'd done, a, I know he'd done a couple of things to like, and I was like, fuck him, I'm not, I don't even want to hear it. And then I was like, I got to my wits end of like podcasts. I hadn't, and I went, I'm going to listen to Carson. I was, and I was like, I was like, fuck. It was all, he was like completely the opposite to okay, his design. Good. Like him when he was talking about it. Because his design's like so, it's almost too much about him, I reckon, if you're into designing, like like magazines or whatever, like it's too much, but which is why it was groundbreaking too. But but the whole interview was just so, it was just so awesome. Like just what Glad to thought. hear like, that. Yeah, I, loved, I just loved it. Like a personality was definitely not the, well, his work. Well, so. some people, I can just freestyle. I'll always prep in advance, but I can freestyle um, – depending on what the subject matter is. If it's surfing, I can freestyle. Yeah. With him, I actually had to do a ton of prep and I was like uncomfortable going into the interview. Yeah, okay. Like I'm gonna, I just don't know his field really, yeah. you know? So I, in the end, I was happy with what we got and uh, I no, think it, it did fun. turn it out good. I mean, for someone like me that, like, like I said, I was working in magazines. I didn't know that he came into it that late because I thought he would have gone through the 70s, but he, but he didn't. Mm-hmm. So he actually came into it like when I was, because I came into it really young. Mm-hmm. And all that stuff he was talking about is so true. And it was just, it was amazing, like, looking at what's happening now with design and all that sort of shit too. And yeah. he's just, it just was true. Like, so I loved it. Good. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, glad to hear and that. The Van Hammersville one was just amazing too. I'm glad to hear that too. For similar that was, reasons, you know. Well, like, that was such a long time ago. I'd be embarrassed to go back and listen just because uh, I'd be critical of my own, my no, job it's, in it's it, fan, you know. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic interview, that one. Well, thanks. Um we can just roll into conversation. I'll give you guys proper introductions in post, yep. but um, let's start off.